0: Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for this Friday, November 18th. I'm Julie Hersey. And the Petersburg Theater Group, Mikkoff Mummers, are bringing audiences over the rainbow and down the rabbit hole this week with their production of Dorothy in Wonderland. KFSK's intern, Jordan Lewis, joined the rehearsal to learn about
1: this mess mashup show.
2: Off with their heads.
1: That was Killian Slavin playing the Queen of Hearts. With a title like Dorothy in Wonderland, people might wonder how the land of the Wizard of Oz and its cast of colorful characters came to cross paths with those of the magical world of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. So, who better to answer the question than the show's director, Irene Littleton?
2: Well, Dorothy, Tin Man, Lion, and Scarecrow, and Toto are at the end of Oz, and they are going to travel back home to their to Kansas. Dorothy's going back to Kansas with Toto, and... A tornado sweeps in and blows them all into Wonderland. So now we have all the Oz characters with the Wonderland characters intermixing and in. Alice and Dorothy are trying to find their way home.
1: The story picks up right where The Wizard of Oz ends. The Scarecrow has found his brain, the Tin Man his heart, and the Lion his courage. But Dorothy and Toto are still trying to get home. Here is Brian Richards playing the wizard, talking with Matthew Winterstein playing the Tin Man. Ah, uh, yes, now, you've all gotten what you came for, so you can all be on your merry ways. But you've forgotten about Dorothy. And the scene continues with Ryan Mumby playing a lion, talking to Tatum Hagerman as Dorothy. Yo, yeah, what's the meaning of this? Oh, yeah. Are you trying to pull a fast one on us? One of the fun parts of the play is watching <laughs> characters from the two stories, like Alice in Wonderland and Glinda the Good Witch. Here's Joy Warnicke as Glinda and Sarah Larson as Alice.
3: Dorothy, I'm trying to find her so I can help her get back to Kansas. Kansas? Yes, it is
4: her home. Is that near London? Oh, no. That's somewhere below the rainbow, way down low.
1: The characters of Alice and Dorothy have a lot in common. They both want to go home from the strange world of Wonderland. In the Oz characters, make Alice's journey through Wonderland easier than the original story. She has more help along the way. The show is a chance to see these childhood characters interact, and it's also a return for the mummers themselves. Here's Littleton.
2: It's it's a long process to pick out the right play, and the right play will speak to you, and this one did. It had a lot of characters. We haven't had a show in two and a half years, so I wanted it to be a big production and... This one with all of the fun characters, I knew the costuming would just be fantastic. And just every character you can imagine the kids will relate to. And so it just seemed to speak to me. And I, so that's the one I chose.
1: The mummer shows have been on hold the last few years because of COVID restrictions. But now that things have opened up, it is all part of their continuing theatrical journey, not the end of their story. Here's Littleton.
2: Well, as Glenda the Good Witch would say, sometimes it's better to take the journey than to simply skip to the end.
1: In Petersburg, I'm Jordan Lewis.
2: The Mummer's performance of Dorothy in
0: Wonderland can be seen tonight at Wright Auditorium and tomorrow night as well. The doors open at 6.30, the show is at 7, and you can get tickets at the door for $10 each. COVID cases are low across Alaska and have been flat for several weeks now. But respiratory illness season is just starting up in the northern hemisphere. And COVID is not the only bug out there causing problems. Robert Woolsey has this report.
5: The message of the November Department of Health teleconference is this. COVID is down, but remain vigilant for other respiratory illnesses that typically come our way this year. Actually, while COVID cases are flat in the U.S. and Europe, they're on the rise in some places, most notably Japan and South Korea. The U.S., however, is getting slammed by influenza, the flu, good old H2N3. We're seeing very high rates of increase of influenza-like activity uh, in the nation, and it's occurring much earlier than it has in recent years. Dr. Joe McLaughlin is head of the state section of epidemiology, he puts up a map of the U.S. that shows every state in the southern U.S., with the exception of Florida, awash with unseasonably high rates of flu, which we normally associate with cold northern winters. McLaughlin says the flu will come to Alaska eventually. In the north, that wave really hasn't hit uh, too hard yet. Uh, northern states are showing minimal Or very low uh, levels of influenza activity, but it's definitely heading our way. The best way to shut down influenza is to vaccinate with an updated version of the flu shot that was first licensed in the United States in 1945. Everyone over six months of age is eligible to receive the flu vaccine, and Alaska's Department of Health wants you to get it because it's got an even more worrisome problem on its hands, RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus. RSV is fairly common and in most adults causes mild, cold-like symptoms that will resolve in a couple of weeks. But in young children, McLaughlin says... RSV is a different matter. So we're seeing a lot of RSV activity and RSV-associated hospitalizations among children ages less than 18 this year. McLaughlin says that children birth to six months are at the highest risk for RSV-associated hospitalization. Six to 12-month-olds are at the next highest risk. Also at risk are the elderly who may suffer from inflammation of the small airways in the lung, a condition called bronchiolitis, as well as pneumonia. There is no vaccine for RSV yet, but McLaughlin says there are two promising vaccines that could be available next year. In the meantime, the best prevention is just that, prevention. Wash your hands, stay home if you're sick, cover your coughs and sneezes, and regularly clean surfaces. RSV is transmitted through larger respiratory droplets that wind up on doorknobs, which people touch and then touch their eyes or their mouths. Department of Health physician Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz agrees that good hygiene is key during respiratory illness season, especially given the unusually rapid early rise of influenza and RSV. She also stresses that although COVID is down, everyone age five and up should get vaccinated. The politicization of vaccination during the pandemic has created a disturbing trend for healthcare professionals as some people opt not only to pass on vaccines for common and sometimes dangerous respiratory illnesses, but also forego immunization for global killers like polio.
3: This is really important. We've seen a significant decrease in uh, routine childhood vaccinations across the U.S. and in Alaska. So now's the time to really um, check in with your trusted health professional. Figure out what immunizations your child is behind on. Get them caught up and up-to-date um, heading into the winter.
5: The more that people access safe and effective vaccines, Rabinowitz says, the more hospital capacity there is for Alaska's most seriously ill residents. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: A long-planned cable connecting Metla Ketla and Ketchikan took a big step towards becoming a reality on Thursday. The Biden administration announced a $10.4 million grant to fund a two-mile undersea cable carrying power and broadband Internet service to Alaska's only native reservation. As Reagan Miller reports, local leaders say they hope it will make Metlakedla a better place to live and work.
3: The $10.4 million grant comes from the Department of Commerce's National Telecommunications and Information Administration and is funded by last year's bipartisan infrastructure law. Keolani Booth is the chairman of Metlakatla Power and Light, the local utility on Annette Island. He says the cable will serve a dual purpose.
6: It's a cable that has both the broadband and the electricity, and then that'll be that'll bring the uh, broadband into town and to all the households and get the first parts of the infrastructure for setting it up for everyone and uh, and getting it so our utility can can run the uh, run the broadband to the homes.
3: The federal agency says the connection will benefit almost 600 homes and businesses in Metlakatla. Metlakatla has already installed land-based power and broadband lines, running from the planned cable landing into town. Once broadband service comes online, he says he expects a big boost for the local schools and the clinic, as well as students who are learning remotely. And he says it'll also be a boon for local businesses.
6: What we're hoping hoping for is uh, to start creating some jobs at home.
3: The new broadband connection will enable speeds of up to 1 gigabit per second for both uploads and downloads, according to a grant announcement. That's 40 times faster than the top speed currently available in Metlakatla and on par with what's available in cities like Ketchikan, Anchorage, and Seattle. Booth says about 1,500 tribal members live in Metlakatla, and he says he hopes it'll encourage others who have left the community to return.
6: It's it's our first step towards, one of our first steps towards, you know, making lives you know, affordable and livable for our, our residents here in Metlakatla so they can stay here. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's very expensive to be where we are.
3: He also thinks it'll strengthen the ties between Metlakatla and Ketchikan thanks to the power sales agreement recently greenlit by the Ketchikan City Council.
6: That'll give us the ability to, um, you know, uh, with through our sales agreement to purchase power, uh, hyd- uh, you know, any hydropower or whatever they have, and then, uh, the same from our end and just, uh, start being a good partner. You know, it's, uh, one thing about being Alaskan is that, uh, you're always there for each other.
3: Metlakatla's mayor, Albert Smith, says that the agreement is huge.
6: That just, uh, that just happened and, and got signed. So for this news to come out shortly after that was completed, um, it's, it's just a really big deal for Metlakahtla.
3: The cable is expected to be installed sometime in the next two to three years, though Booth cautions that the supply chain issues and other roadblocks could delay the project. Faster speeds would be available shortly after the cable is completed. Reporting in Ketchikan,
0: I'm Reagan Miller. The dams holding back Wrangell's drinking water are over a century old, and they're some of the least stable dams in the state, according to the state's Department of Natural Resources. A 2015 survey found the dams to be the second worst in Alaska. But to fix the problem, the borough needs to actually understand it. Public Works Director Tom Wetter says it's proving to be its own issue.
4: Long story short, our dams were originally constructed in like 1905. And we have some information and some drawings on the construction of those dams. However, they're, I would say, somewhat incomplete. And there's contradictory information in one drawing versus another, like One drawing says there's metal sheet piling in it, and another one says that there's not. And so to be quite frank, you know, no one knows entirely what the actual construction of the dams is is actually made up of. And so before we're really able to do any kind of modifications or even understand what the modifications would need to be to improve on our dam stability, we need to understand what we're working with.
0: In late September, a team of engineers and borough staff worked to sample the dam soil and try to reach the bedrock. Wetter said that the team sampled multiple points and was mostly successful in gathering the data they needed. A few times they hit rocks and had equipment break or paused because of concerns about the immediate stability of the dam. He says there were a few tense moments when borough officials and engineers were considering activating a dam emergency plan, which could have involved trying to evacuate residents who live below the reservoirs. Wetter says he's not an expert and can't speak to all the possible implications of what happened during the stability analysis, so he's eagerly awaiting the official engineering report. He says the results of the report are expected within the next couple of weeks, and will help the borough determine the next steps. Best
4: case scenario, the dam's more stable than what we thought it was going to be, and we can just add more material and and increase the size of our dam and our stability that way. You know, worst case scenario, the dam's actually worse than what we thought it was, and there's no safe way to raise or reinforce the current dams as they are, which could require entirely new dams being built down below the existing dams and then demolition or deconstruction of the existing dams to to bring things online.
0: Moving forward, Wetter says the borough's top priority is finishing a project to link Wrangell's drinking water plant to the upper reservoir. Right now the plant only connects to the lower reservoir. The upper reservoir bypass is an important project for a number of reasons including the potential for the borough to do serious work on the reservoirs.
4: In order for us to be able to really work on the dams, we've got to be able to essentially take one of them offline and and perform some of this work. And so having a bypass in line will, will give us a lot more flexibility and ability to do that.
0: That bypass project already has just over $2 million in federal funds secured by Alaska's congressional delegation. And a draft of borough infrastructure priorities for the coming year has the dam bypass at the top of the list. That wraps up the news portion of Midday Magazine for this Friday.